This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The five books of Moses are the basis of the entire Bible, but the words of Yeshua are the most critical. In this episode, Michael Root explains that even Moses said that the words of the Messiah must be heard and obeyed above all others, because we will be judged according to them. Rightly Dividing the Truth, episode six is coming up because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to episode six of Rightly Dividing the Truth with Michael Rood. This is Shabbat Night Live, and this is a series that was filmed a few years ago, but there's more truth in it today than there ever was even back then. You're gonna love it, so stay tuned. In the meantime, please welcome my co-host, the partner of services, Maestro David Robinson. Shabbat Shalom, brother. Shabbat Shalom, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, quite not, last week we talked about being a Torah terrorist, and people get so excited yeah. about what they've learned, and they try and teach all their friends and say, you're wrong, it's this, and it would start offending everybody. Mm -hmm. But another thing we do sometimes, uh, when we get excited about the Bible again, you know, reading that exactly. more than what we thought was there, is that we read so much into the Torah, and a lot of folks do, uh, you know, Torah portions each week and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. that we kind of forget, forget the red about, letters. Yeah, forget the red letters of <laughs> Yeshua. And that's kind of dangerous because, you know, even Moses said, there's a prophet coming after me who is the prophet, and him you are supposed to listen to. Yes, and, and, and Yeshua said that all these things uh, before the end comes will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the, everything that's written of him in the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, the whole Tanakh is gonna be fulfilled. And we have to remember that it is his words, just like you said, that we are gonna be judged for how obedient are we to what he says. And what happens again, like we talked last week, is you start moving so far into the knowledge side of things, you kind of forget to go back to the New Testament mm -hmm. and the writings of Shaul. And you know, I, I found that when we did Torah studies at a friend's house uh, at a farm, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, a typical Torah study, yeah. you'd spend mm -hmm. all day there, you'd have lunch, maybe even dinner together, you'd be there so long. Right. And after two, three hours of really going through the, the Torah, I'm being excited about it, granted, mm -hmm. that it's like, oh man, well, the kids are hungry, it's, it's about 12, it's about one o'clock. Uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just skip the the the, uh, the New Testament this time. Yeah, and, and you just you end up skipping it. It's yeah, like, you can't do that. You got to yeah. read. You know, you got to go through the words of Yeshua. So, and that's what uh, Michael's talking about tonight in episode six of Rightly Dividing the Truth. So, let's have a look. Of all of the words, collectively known as the Bible, the words and works of Yeshua are the most critical and the most important to translate correctly. Because in the words of Moses, he alone is the prophet that we must shema, we must hear and obey, and we will be judged in order of our compliance with the words of that prophet. We will be measured against the words of that prophet. These 
are the most important words that must be understood correctly. And oftentimes, they are the most mistranslated words in the entire scripture. The letters written by various apostles and disciples to congregations and individually is collectively known as the epistles. Some address questions that were sent from the congregations to the individual, and unfortunately, we do not have their original letter to help us determine the immediate context. Other letters address individual issues, much as our personal correspondents do today. There is much learning that can be derived from these letters, but we must understand that none of our interpretation of the contents of these letters can be construed to change or negate anything that the Almighty shouted down from Mount Sinai, or change anything of how Yeshua lived and instructed his disciples on how to conduct themselves. We see that Shaul constantly quotes the Torah. And unless we are familiar with the Torah and familiar with what he is quoting, we don't even have his words in context. Only when we can find the words of Shaul right back in the Torah, only then do we have his words in context and his commentary on not only the Torah, but also the prophets that he is doing on a regular basis throughout his letters to all of not only the congregations, but to the individuals to whom he addresses. All right, so there you go. Episode six, Rightly Dividing the Truth, a little piece of what we're gonna see tonight. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is now a third month, speaking of tonight, on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you have right there, and you can see it on your screen. There's something really interesting on the photos. We talked about the photos last week mm -hmm. because they're so interesting. They're from uh, Mary Noel Wiley. And uh, she has, this one is actually taken by her husband, um, uh, Randall. Mm -hmm. And Randall took a photo of Sakar. Now, what is Sakar? Well, this is the place where Joseph was distributing grain when there was a famine in the land. Mm -hmm. this, this structure still exists. It's still there. And if you recognize that, you go, wow, it's still all there. And, and through the hallway down here, there, uh, we, I've seen several other photos of this place, and they had stations for different clerks who maybe spoke different languages for mm -hmm. all the people coming all over. Because remember, Egypt was the only place that had grain. That's right. Because they stored it. And every place else was like, they, they're out of luck. Yeah. I mean, most of us in, in, you know, in our Hebrew roots or whatever, we, we really do love knowing the exact days as far as the calendar and so yeah. forth. But I'm telling you, if you're not that person and you just love history, this calendar has in the descriptions for each photo. I oh, mean, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. It's like rediscovering the Bible because you is. may have seen a photo like this before and not knowing what it is. But now that you know, you're like, right. oh, and you really start to look at it and going, wow, this is a part of my heritage it as is. a believer. This Absolutely. is cool. This is like seeing into a past I didn't know existed. Like that picture last week of Pharaoh is like, whoa. Yeah. Wow, it's literally that's the guy. Well, you know? and the, on the front cover too. I mean, this thing here, this is... That's uh, Tutankhamun. Mm -hmm. There's a whole story behind that. You got to get you got to get the the calendar to explain. I'm not going to explain it tonight. But this this guy, that's Moses. That's what Moses looked like. We literally have a picture of Moses because there were statues made of him. Because remember, he was going to be Pharaoh. That's right. He was in line to be Pharaoh, and mm -hmm. then it all fell apart. And they even had tombs for him, as you'd mm -hmm. read in Mary Nell's book. But mm -hmm. uh, very interesting stuff. So now uh, we never got to this last week, so I want to get to it this week, and that is this month's love gift. It's a new love gift uh, featuring Miles Jones 
and he talks about twisting the word, how so many people have, uh, that, that there's, first of all, there's 5,000 Greek manuscripts out there that people have found. Right. Manuscript meaning like handwritten, mm-hmm. but not one of them is the same. That's right, they're all, <laughs> they're different. all different. Every one of them, so don't go in that search, it's just gonna cause confusion. Yeah, so it's like, well, how, wait a minute, I thought the Bible was supposed to be the inerrant word of God. How did it all change? Who changed it, why? Right. And Miles Jones basically goes through the history of all that saying, well, here's what happened. Here's the politics that happened here. This is why this word was changed. This is why that word was changed. Politics, power, religion, it all twists the word a little bit and yet we still get the basic idea today, thank God. Yes. So anyway, this is a great teaching, again, from Miles Jones. I interviewed him right here on the stage. It's a great privilege. So this is this month's love gift for your gift of $50 or more. And for a gift of $100 or more, we'll get you the teaching. Plus, what do we have You get the Line of Judah lamp, which is an oil lamp. And you can see uh, the Line of Judah right here. You know, speaking of Mary Nell, she has a lamp very much like that Mm -hmm. that was found in the chamber where the Ark of the Covenant was that Ron Wyatt happened to grab, and it looks just like that. Wow. Same size and everything. Yeah, and you know the scripture in Psalms 119, it says, uh, my word is a light to your feet mm. and unto your path. And so you think, you, you really couldn't see far when you use one of these little lamps, you know what I mean? You couldn't mm-hmm. just take off, right. but it, just right in front of you for yeah. each step, just like the word is for us. Each step, and as we are learning to rightly divide the word, don't rush, mm. take your time, bask in it, you know, and, and learn what uh, That's Michael a good analogy yeah. where it's, you know, you're, you can't go that far ahead. You no. still have to rely on Jehovah. You, you still do. have to... You still have to trust him. But yeah, so that's a great great gift we have there. And then we have the salt and pepper. These things are really heavy. <laughs> yeah, they're they really heavy. And people so, look at these going, that's a salt and pepper shaker? Yes, This it is. is a salt and pepper. This is, uh, I guess, the pepper. The right? pepper, yeah. Those are, well, one hole, three holes or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. but uh, these are very heavy and uh, they're made of uh, brass. Yeah, isn't that yeah, cool? brass. And then you have the uh, tray for them to sit in. A silver-plated tray. Silver-plated tray. That's so, beautiful. Uh, that's I've for your gift. Seen something for the like gift that. of three hundred dollars, you yeah. get the teaching, you get the uh, line of Judah lamp, and you also get this uh, salt and pepper shaker, pomegranate. Salt, well, salt thank and pepper you, shaker. David, because I know you are uh, you're the one who picks these out. So yes, thank you for doing it, and Very thank welcome. you for donating to this ministry. And uh, we'd like to give you these gifts for your donation. That's what it's all about. You're not buying these things. You donate to the ministry. We say, hey, thanks. You know what? We'd like to give you something really neat in return. So again, thanks very much. All right, the Torah is the foundation of the Bible, but are we forgetting that the words of Yeshua are even more important? Stay tuned for Michael Rood in episode six of Rightly Dividing the Truth. But first, it's the Kiddush with Michael. Stay with us. Scholars have uncovered more than 5,000 handwritten Greek manuscripts of the New Testament but not one of them is the same. How did the Bible change so much, and who did it? So many people trying to twist history or twist the words of Scripture to sell their narrative. That's really one of the most important things you have to learn. What's the agenda behind this change? What's the agenda behind this insertion? Twisting the Word with biblical linguist Miles Jones exposes the politics, power, and compromise that have twisted the word of the Almighty over the centuries. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Twisting the Word with Miles Jones on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you Twisting the Word plus an ancient replica oil lamp featuring the Lion of Judah plus burning oil and wicks 
or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you Twisting the Word, the Ancient Replica Oil Lamp, and this beautiful set of salt and pepper shakers made in Israel. Exquisitely crafted in the shape of pomegranates, these unique conversation pieces are made of copper and come with a silver-plated tray. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends May 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. For the past 20 years, I've lived in the land of Israel, and I've had many occasions to de- eat in the home of Orthodox Jews, and on Shabbat, as the two hollow loaves were brought out, representing the double portion of manna that fell from heaven, and that we would not need to be collecting manna the next day, but his provision is there for us. And as they said the blessing, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. I, of course, know the Adonai is really Yehovah. I know that. And then as they took the cup and said, Baruch atah Yehovah, Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, barei pari ha'gofen. I would sit at that table and I would recognize and understand that what they are doing, this is what was done from the time that the Melech Zadik brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. And Yeshua said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, wherever you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. The remembrance of them are all around. And this is what the Almighty put in place for us to understand. And this is why Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We do this in remembrance of him. Shabbat Shalom. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Paul, or as Yeshua called him, Shaul, wrote these words to Timothy. Timothy he called his true child in the faith. Shaul thought of him as a son, dearly beloved son, and as a son, he wanted Timothy to live life to the fullest, to follow in Shaul's footsteps. And that is why he wanted him to understand the importance of the Torah and the other scriptures which he had been raised with from a childhood. The scriptures which hold the wisdom of the ages. Shaul, one of the most brilliant minds of his generation, said that every word of the scriptures is profitable. 
In our previous episode, we learned that the five English words given by inspiration of God is one Greek word, theopneustos, which literally means God breathed. We learned that when human characteristics are attributed to the invisible God, it is the figure of speech direct benai adam in Hebrew or in Greek, anthropopathia, or in Latin, condescensio. Figures of speech draw attention to, they emphasize, they cause us to ponder the meaning of the statement in greater depth than a plain statement of fact. The word of God, the Hebrew scriptures, is the very breath of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. The scripture of which Shaul speaks specifically is the Torah. The instructions contained in the five books of Moses. These instructions reveal the nature of our creator. It is the Torah which reveals to mankind the will of God and what this conscious physical experience we call life, what it's all about. It would be a tragedy to come to the end of our days and finally realize that we had missed the entire point, that we would now go to our grave having no idea of why we are here or what we were supposed to have accomplished. Yeshua stated plainly that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Torah, the law of Moses, and the prophets, the Nevi'im, and in the Psalms, or literally the writings, the Ketuvim, concerning himself. It was the prophets, the Nevi'im, that directed the people back to the obedience of the Torah, and that their main function was to declare or foretell the will of God rather than to foretell the future. Prophets are the spokesmen, the representatives of the one true God. And the term spokesman or prophet is an all-inclusive, non-gender specific term that applies to man and woman alike. The writings of the prophets are also an integral part of the all scripture to which Shaul refers when he speaks to Timothy. The writings or ketuvim is that which records the history of Israel without which we would have no record of the victories or the failures of those who actually obeyed or disobeyed the instructions given in the Torah. Without these historical documents, we would have no idea of whether the Almighty fulfilled his promises of abundance to Israel, or fulfilled his warnings of repercussions for violating his commandments. The Hebrew scriptures must be understood in their original context if they are to be understood at all because every word in God's word relates back to the Torah. Every event is continued upon the covenants that the Almighty made with his people, his everlasting covenants. The Torah, the Nephim, the Ketuvim, all known by the Jewish sages and Yeshua as the Tanakh, the Tanakh. Torah, Nephim, Ketuvim often miscalled the Old Testament by English speakers. We will further explore the graphos or the writings, the scriptures that detailed the life and ministry of Yeshua, the records of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the Acts of the Apostles written by Luke and the Revelation written by John, which all together are collectively known as the Gospels or the Good News. The Gospels 
were also given by inspiration of God. Of all of the words collectively known as the Bible, the words and works of Yeshua are the most critical and the most important to translate correctly. Because in the words of Moses, he alone is the prophet that we must shema, we must hear and obey, and we will be judged in order of our compliance with the words of that prophet. We will be measured against the words of that prophet. These are the most important words that must be understood correctly, and oftentimes they are the most mistranslated words in the entire scripture. The letters written by various apostles and disciples to congregations and individually is collectively known as the epistles. Some address questions that were sent from the congregations to the individual, and unfortunately, we do not have their original letter to help us determine the immediate context. Other letters address individual issues, much as our personal correspondence do today. There is much learning that can be derived from these letters, but we must understand that none of our interpretation of the contents of these letters can be construed to change or negate anything that the Almighty shouted down from Mount Sinai, or change anything of how Yeshua lived and instructed his disciples on how to conduct themselves. We see that Shaul constantly quotes the Torah. And unless we are familiar with the Torah and familiar with what he is quoting, we don't even have his words in context. Only when we can find the words of Shaul right back in the Torah, only then do we have his words in context and his commentary on not only the Torah, but also the prophets that he is doing on a regular basis throughout his letters to all of not only the congregations, but to the individuals to whom he addresses. Yeshua knew from the very onset that he had not come to be heralded as the Messiah and live happily ever after. He came the first time as the prophet that we must shema, we must hear and obey. He came as the king from heaven who laid down the rules of the kingdom and whether one will be admitted to or rejected from the eternal kingdom. He came the first time as the suffering, rejected servant. He came as the son of man who showed us how to live the Torah and instructed us repeatedly, follow me, follow me, follow me. Put your footsteps in my footsteps. Do what I do. He came the first time as the son of God, the sinless lamb whose blood was willingly shed for the transgressions of the many. He will, in the future, in the good news of the revelation, return as the conquering reigning king who rules the earth with the rod of iron and the eternal Torah, will be known throughout the entire earth. So this collection, known as the Bible, how did we get this word? How did we get this God-breathed word in written form? 
It is Peter that answers this question most eloquently in a second letter to the followers of Yeshua. In 2 Peter chapter one, please turn there with me. 2 Peter chapter one and in verse 12, we begin reading. Wherefore, which is, this is why, this is why I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though you already know them and you are established in this present truth. Yea, I think it meet, it's appropriate, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up and put you in remembrance of these things, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as the Lord Yeshua has shown me. So again, these are the last words of Peter. This is the last we'll hear from him, and he is instructing these people to understand this present truth. And it is concerning those who have come in and made their own cunningly devised fables in order to take advantage of people. It's every time he turns on the television for Christian television, it drives him absolutely up the wall, the insane and the inane things that he hears going on. Well, what was going on back then is no different from what is going on today. He says that, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance, because we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And we're gonna see that through the rest of this section, he is exposing those who did cunningly devise fables to take advantage of people, to sell them a bill of goods. But he said, we did not do this when we made known unto you the power and the coming, which is parousia, the personal presence of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it, for he, Yeshua, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with them in the Holy Mount. And he's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration incident that transpired on the day of atonement before they went up to the Feast of Tabernacles. That which Yeshua said, don't tell anyone right now. Here it is that Peter is telling us what transpired there. He said, we saw it, we heard it, we were there. And then he goes on to say, and we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. You listen up. You listen to us because it's going to be like a light that shines into a dark place. And that light will be with you until the day dawn and the day star, the sun arises in your heart. In other words, I am going to shine the light on this situation so that you will not be deceived because of those who had crept in unawares and had subverted the, the gospel and had turned it into grace, into license to do whatever you want to do. He said, this is the first thing that you need to know. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Private interpretation is in the Greek, idios epilusos. Idios is one's own, from which we then get the word idiot. Epilusos is letting loose. No prophecy of the scripture 
is of anyone's own letting loose. You know, just make it up. For the prophecy, the prophecy, and when the term prophecy is used, it is either speaking of foretelling the future or foretelling, which is the declaration of the nature of God or a message from God. For the prophecy came not in old time, and specifically here, it is speaking in the Greek, the prophecy came not at any time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, your King James says. Well, the word Holy Ghost in Greek is hagios pneuma. It is Holy Spirit or Holy Wind, not ghost. Ghost is from phantasma, which is generally an ectoplasmic apparition, but no, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. It is just a bad way of translating this. It is not, you know, people picture, you know, a ghost. No, it is the Holy Spirit, holy men of God. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So how do we then have the words that these men who were moved by the Holy Spirit, how do we have them in our possession today? For this, we turn to Amos, one of the prophets. Amos, Amos was a sheep herder in Tekoa, and we're going to read this in Amos chapter one, verse one. Please turn there with me. Amos 1.1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, we do not know if Amos could even write. But this is what transpired, and this is why we have the words of Amos. Amos came from Tekoa, where he was a sheep herder. He came up to the temple and reported to the Sanhedrin, to the rulers of Israel, that he had heard a word from the Almighty that he was to deliver to the nation of Israel. The scribes of the Sanhedrin then recorded the words of the prophet, they recorded the words of Amos, but they did not know yet if he was a prophet. These words were recorded on the Temple Mount, they were preserved on the Temple Mount, and if they were authenticated to be true, then they were preserved. If they were then found to be false, they were destroyed. Now, when it says that this is what he heard and delivered two years before the earthquake, it could very well have been that Amos gave this revelation, thus saith the Lord, and, and it was all written down, and then he very well could have said, you will know this is true because two years from now, on a certain date, there is going to be an earthquake in this particular area. And because of this earthquake, the repercussions are going to be this, 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 and this. And when these things transpire exactly on this day, as I am telling you, then you will know that this word was not invented by me. It is not a cunningly devised fable, but this is a word that comes right straight from the throne room of heaven. See, ladies and gentlemen, that is why and how we have the word in our presence today. 
because these words were authenticated in the day and preserved and painstakingly copied for now thousands of years to where we have them in our hands today. But this is not the only way we receive the word. Now we go to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. And now in verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll, which is the scroll, the the book, with the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah. Now, what happened is that Jeremiah spoke words. His scribe, Baruch, wrote them on a scroll and the king not only cut them up, but he incinerated them. And so the Almighty said, take another scroll, write in it all of the former words, which were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And now I want you to say to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, thus saith the Lord, because you have burned this scroll, and you said, why hast you written these things therein, that the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy the land and cause to cease from thence man and beast. Therefore, because you did this, because you said this, thus saith the Lord to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, you shall have no one to sit upon the throne of David. Your dead body is gonna be cast out to the heat of the day and in the night of the frost. I will punish you and your seed and your servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon you and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I pronounced against them, but you refuse to hear me. So then it says in verse 32 that Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein, from the mouth of Yermiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added also many other like words. Well, as we see, the response of the king after this is that as it is written, the prophets were all loved and well-respected in their day. Well, let's go directly to uh, where this uh, passage, what I'm uh, paraphrasing here, this is in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 36. They, the prophets, were mocked and scourged and bound and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, literally cut in half. They were tortured. They were slain with a sword. They were bound up in sheepskins and goatskins and sent out into the desert to die. That's what it means that they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They, they tied them up in wet sheepskins and goatskins, sent them out in the desert, and they then suffocated as the heat dried them out and they were unable to breathe. Suffocated to death. They were afflicted. They were tortured. They were made destitute vagabonds in the desert. They survived by escaping into the mountains. They hid out in animal dens and in the caves of the earth. No, no, they were not well beloved. Why do we have the words of Isaiah? Isaiah was went up to 
the Temple Mount. He declared revelation from heaven over and over and over, and finally the leaders of Israel had had it. They were tired of what he had to say. They took him down into the Kidron Valley. They strapped him down. They put a rusty lumberjack saw across his belly and said, recant, take those words back. He said, I cannot. These are the words of the Almighty to the nation of Israel. They said, recant. He said, I will not. And so they began sawing him and he refused to recant. They kept on sawing through his body until he got to his backbone. His backbone snapped and his lights went out. They hated him. They hated the words that he spoke. But why do we have his words? Because every word that he spoke concerning that generation came to pass with absolute accuracy. That is why we have his words. Even though they killed him, they knew then a prophet had been in their midst, and that's why we have the words of Isaiah. They are not to be taken lightly. Isaiah also spoke of a time in the future, a time in which after Israel would be scattered among the nations, that Israel would again become a nation in one day. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 and in verse eight. Please turn there. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Now this is what is referred to as the prophetic perfect tense. Or now let's put it in the prophetic future as it was then, not the prophetic perfect tense, which is an accomplished fact, because as soon as Zion travails, she shall bring forth her children. As a result of the Holocaust, the, which is the mass extermination of the Jewish populations of Europe, the former Roman Empire, on May 5th, 1948, 6 p.m., 1800 hours, Washington, D.C. time, which was 12 o'clock midnight Jerusalem time, Israel became a nation in one day by order of the United Nations. It had never happened before that a nation would be brought forth at in one moment, in one day. It's never been heard of before. But yet, Isaiah prophesied it. A hundred years ago, the majority of Christendom saying that Israel will never be a nation again, that God is through with Israel, all of his eternal promises to Abraham and the children of Israel have been done away with, and now the Christians, they all receive the blessings that Israel rejected. But yet there were many that said no, if God can break his eternal covenant with Israel, what makes us safe? They said, no, Israel will become a nation in the future, and it'll happen in one day. And that happened May 15th, 1948. Now, 
to most of the world, this was kind of a, a nowhere date. As a matter of fact, in 359 of the Common Era, that is when the Sanhedrin changed the biblical calendar into a calculated calendar. At that time, they calculated when they would celebrate the beginning of the month, and it was a mathematical logarithm that they rolled into the future. It could go on for thousands of years. But the other thing that they did is that instead of determining the beginning of the year in the month of the Aviv barley, as we had done from the time that we came out of Egypt until 359, instead, they came up with a mathematical logarithm saying that we are not going to be in the land of Israel, we're going to go into exile, no one is going to be here to sight the new moon, so we'll make a mathematical calculation to begin the beginning of the month. We're not going to be here to, to either inspect the barley or present the first fruits, and so we are going to say that seven times every 19 years, we're going to add a 13th month, that will keep Passover in the spring of the year. Once that mathematical logarithm was put in place, the basically the biblical calendar, the calendar of the temple, the calendar that was in place in the days of Yeshua, at that moment in 359 of the Common Era, that became history. But the Almighty still runs the universe according to his calendar and his time clock. Unbeknownst to the world, unbeknownst to the Jewish world who had adopted an invented calendar, they did not know that what happened on May 15, 1948, that that year, according to the mathematical logarithm, the rabbis had added a 13th month onto that year and it was not necessary. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is that May 15, 1948, was the seventh Sabbath of the counting of the Omer, and the following day was Shavuot. Why is this significant? Because as it says in the Brit Hadashah, in the Renewed Covenant, is that the Feast of the Lord are all prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. That we were told, and not given the reason why, is that we are to present the first fruits of the barley. The aviv barley is to be parsed. We present the first fruits in the temple during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then we begin counting seven Sabbaths. And the day after the seventh Sabbath would be the 50th day, Pentecosta in Greek, and that is when we are to culminate this 50-day counting. This counting of the Omer, or the seven Sabbaths, this is what we are told to do forever. For two decades in the land of Israel, every year for this Feast of Shavuot, I would call an assembly to gather together down at the southern steps of the Temple Mount. On the biblical Shavuot, not the rabbinic Shavuot in which they, they changed the reckoning after the destruction of the temple, but according to the ancient reckoning of Shavuot, we got together and every year we asked ourselves, why did we just count these seven Sabbaths? Why? We know that the Feast of the Lord are prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come, but there's nothing that happens in the gospel account that implies that this was fulfilled. Why did we count these seven Sabbaths? 
and it was in the year 2005 in working on the ancient biblical calendar and on the seminar that became known as the Jonah Code that I was in my office in the middle of the night in, uh, at Alamo Junction there in Israel, uh, south of the Dead Sea, but yet up on, uh, up on the, the ridge there, that uh, in the middle of the night, something hit me and I asked, what if in 1948, what if the mathematical logarithm of the modern Jewish calendar added an eight or bet into that year? And I thought, why hadn't I thought of this before? Because Israel did become a nation one day in May 15th, 1948, but why did it happen on a nowhere date? Nothing on the biblical calendar, just on the pagan calendar, May 15th, 1948, that means nothing. Where was it on the biblical calendar? And so it didn't take long, within a few minutes, I could see that uh, uh, just checking the, the, the calculations, that yes, they did an add an eight-hour bet onto that year. And so I went back two years before and I started calculating the new moons. And then running it around to the spring of the year and according to when we have observed over the last 12 years at that point, when the barley is of even the land of Israel, I came around to 1948 and I saw it wasn't necessary according to when the barley is historically of Eve, it wasn't necessary to add an eight or bet onto that year. It wouldn't have not have been an eight or bet. And so then, I began calculating out, okay, when would the Passover lambs have been sacrificed if the temple was still standing? When would we have offered the first fruits? And then I began counting, page after page, one Sabbath, two Sabbath. We got to the seventh Sabbath of the count of the Omer, it's at four o'clock in the morning, and there it is, May 15th, 1948, the seventh Sabbath of the count of the Omer. The following day, it was Shavuot, according to the Creator's reckoning of time, and the celebration of the rebirth of the nation of Israel transpired, and not a single person on planet Earth knew it at the time. And after more than 30 years of restoring the ancient biblical calendar, in order to be able to produce the chronological gospels, it was the first time that I was able to calculate this and to determine this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is absolutely incredible. The prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come of the seven Sabbaths of the count of the Omer came to pass without anyone realizing it, and yet Israel became a nation in one day. Isaiah's prophecies are not all of antiquity. They are transpiring right now in this day and time. And we're going to take a look at another prophecy concerning Israel and what is taking place right now according to God's calendar and God's time clock. Isaiah also prophesied concerning the false shepherds of the house of Israel, the false teachers, preachers, and prophets who cunningly devised fables in his day, but this prophecy also reaches into the future. In Isaiah chapter 28, in verse 13, we begin reading, the word of the Lord was up unto them, these false teachers and prophets, it was unto them 
precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken, ensnared and taken. This, ladies and gentlemen, is systematic theology. The technique used by all religious systems to mislead the ignorant and the innocent. All we have to do is take a line here, and then we go and say a line here, and then a precept here, and a precept there. We're gonna take a little bit here, and a little bit here, and we're gonna assemble our own religious system. We are going to ignore the context, the entire body. We're not gonna pay any attention to that. We're just going to take individual words, we're gonna put them under a microscope and we're going to wrestle these things, we're gonna torture these words, we're gonna twist them to make them say what we want them to say, and we're gonna hope that you're not gonna read the context so that you know that what I'm saying makes no sense at all. This is exactly what the false shepherds of Israel were doing in their day and time. This is exactly how every religious system is built. They're systematic, tortured theology. And why? So that they will fall down and go backwards and be broken, ensnared, and finally taken hostage. This is what they're doing, and this is what is happening to the people. This is why in this class on power-filled, abundant living, we are going to go to the word and let the word interpret itself. We're gonna get it in context so that it cannot be twisted and wrestled out of context by taking a verse here and a verse there, a precept here and a precept there, and then mashing it all together and twisting it to where the innocent are taken hostage. We continue reading. In verse 14, wherefore, here, this is why I'm telling you to shema the word of the Lord, because these false prophets have twisted everything around, and this is why I'm telling you to listen to the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule the people which are in Jerusalem. Because you, you, you false leaders have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are in agreement, so that when the overflowing scourge shall pass through it, it shall not come unto us because we have made lies our refuge and we have protected ourselves by hiding under lies. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believes shall not make haste. I will also lay judgment to the straight edge, and I will put righteousness to the plumb line, your righteousness. Hail is gonna sweep away your refuge of lies. Waters are going to overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death shall be annulled. Your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through because you're gonna be trodden down by it. From the time that it is sent forth, it will take you. 
Morning after morning it shall inundate you. Night and night it shall be a vexation just to hear the report of your calamity. The bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself out on it. The covering is narrower than a man can wrap himself up. For the Lord is going to rise up in Mount Perizim. He is going to be full of wrath is in the Valley of Gibeon. He is gonna be full of wrath that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Therefore, do not mock, lest your bands be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord of hosts, Adonai Yehovah Oat, that there shall be a consumption determined upon the whole earth. Isaiah prophesies prophesies of a time in which Israel's leaders will, will do wickedly against the covenant as we read the entire section. This is the covenant that the Almighty made with Abraham, a covenant with blood that all of the land from the Euphrates to the river in Egypt belongs to the sons of Abraham through his grandson Israel. This is an everlasting covenant that the Almighty made with Abraham and even put Abraham to sleep, as if to say, Abraham, you're gonna be dead in the grave, and the Almighty walked through those pieces and walked through that valley of blood. He made a blood covenant with Abraham that the Almighty alone entered into, and he says, I will die before I will revoke that covenant. Abraham had nothing to do with it. He was sound asleep. But yet, Isaiah prophesied of a time that transpired then and transpired into the future in which Israel's leaders would do wickedly against that covenant. They would make a covenant with hell in agreement with death. And that's exactly what transpired. <laughs> 